you. Man, just that uh, we can worship you this morning and uh, we can confess that you are Lord, that you are good, uh, that we can trust you. Uh, we thank you for bringing us here this morning and may we continue to worship you. May you continue to guide us uh, through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can remain standing for the reading of God's word. We're in Luke chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 24. It says this, the parable of the prodigal son. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the, his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. You guys take a seat. Jason, come on up. Let me pray for you. Yes, Lord, um, we just pray, Lord, that uh, may your word would continue to go out. Uh, we know that it doesn't go out void, uh, but we pray for Jason uh, that, uh, and the words that you've spoken to him. Uh, man, may they uh, penetrate our hearts, and uh, may we know um, how we are loved by you, and how we can trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, City Light. As uh, Eric said, my name is Jason. I'm one of the co-pastors here. So thank you for joining us just for our fall kickoff. So we're kicking off our fall series, which is Down, Up, In, Out. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about Down, which is the gospel. But before we really get into that, l let me ask you this question. Is it better for somebody to kind of pursue their own personal dreams or kind of do what the family wants them to do. Now, that question probably doesn't make sense. Let me give you a little more context to that. Um, my, uh, my grandpa was a railroad engineer. My dad was a railroad engineer. Can you guess what my dad wanted me to do? Right? He wanted me to become a railroad engineer. And maybe some of you are like, man, you missed your calling, Jason. Right? But I'm, I'm here. Uh, obviously, I did not become a railroad engineer. We've all seen the movie, right, of somebody who they want to make it big, like they want to go to, like, the city, but the expectation is they're going to take over the family business. So they have these dreams of becoming an artist, right, uh, but mom and dad want them to become a butcher, right, because we've always done that, right? Sort of that, that tension between here's what I really want to do, but here's what society expects of me. Um, let me ask it a different way. Is it better to hold to and follow the expectations of a given society or do what's best for me? That's the tension. Which is better, social norms or personal satisfaction? That's the tension, right? And we see that even politically, right? There's like, here's what's good for the community, 
But here's what we think is most important for individuals, right? We've seen this all through COVID. Some of these issues have come up. The What's best for the, the whole nation? What about my individual rights, right? I'm not getting into that. Right? But that's that tension we've experienced. And the parable or the story, right, of the prodigal son that Jesus is telling has two brothers. One runs off. One stays behind. And what I want to do today is look at how each brother's approach shows us what it says about the gospel or what it says about that, the value of down. Also, uh, Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, was a huge influence on me as I prayed, read through, wrote this sermon. So if you're familiar with his teaching, you're going to hear some of that. Um, but one of the reasons why I love the story of the prodigal son so much is because I've experienced both brothers' perspectives uh, and I've acted like both of them. So let's start with the younger son. In this story, he comes to his dad and he asks for the inheritance. Now, in this culture, this would have been highly insulting. Uh, as I did some research on this, it would have been normal, hear this, normal, not uh, like an exception, but normal if the dad would have got like a big stick or a bat and beat his son half to death, right? And nobody would have been like, did you hear what Bill did? He beat his son. They would have been like, yeah, of course he did, right? He, he wanted his father dead. That would have been the implication of that. Like, dad, I want you dead. So I can get your stuff. Right, so obviously they're, they're highly insulting. Uh, the people who heard that, it says that Jesus was speaking to tax collectors all right, and religious leaders. So you've got sort of, you know, Antifa and QAnon people. They're all together, right? And the extremes on both sides. Everybody in between. They're all together here in this story. Um, they all would have been shocked at that request, right? Like that son just asked for his dad to die. Like it would have felt that way. Also, the story is told in an agrarian culture, and so because of that, the father would have to sell off a portion of his estate to give the son his inheritance. All right? It would be like asking a farm, like a farm kid going to his dad and saying, hey, this farm's been in our family for a long time, generations. Uh, I really want to get out of here, so why don't you sell that portion off? I don't care about any family history. I don't care about any future generations. I kind of want what I want. So, hey, pop, sell that off. Give me that cash so I can get out of here. Right, that, that's the implication. Once again, the insult, he just keeps layering and layering. Um, so he's not really asking for money out of a savings account. It's not like he's going to cash out a 401k or a Roth IRA. He's not doing that. He's selling off some of their family history and heritage. He's asking that to be broken up for him. Generations would be affected. Right? The consequences of the younger son, he, he doesn't care. And what's the father do? He says, okay, I'll do it for you which would have been even more shocking to everybody listening. They would have been just shocked that the father would do that. So a few days later, the story says, uh, the younger son takes his share, he gathers up all his stuff, he heads off to a far country and lives recklessly. Um, that's Bible language for, give me that money so I can go have a nice long stay in Vegas. Right? That's where he's heading. He's heading to Vegas to party it up, he thinks he has enough money that this is his new life. He's leaving all these people behind. He is going to live it up well in Vegas. But just like a normal trip to Vegas, he runs out of money. Okay? Uh, a famine hits, and now he has nothing. That's where he finds himself. Uh, and he needs to eat. He's broke. He needs to eat. He finds himself feeding pigs, and he's wanting to eat the slop that the pigs are being fed. Now, remember, this is, this is a Jewish boy who would not look at pigs in the highest, right? There, there's no little cartoons for pigs for them, right? 
Um, if you think about even the context of the Gospels, when Jesus casts out demons, they go to pigs. And here he is, like the pigs have it better than him. All right? Um, and if we stick to the Vegas scenario, here's a kid who was raised in a pretty tradi uh, traditional religious home. He goes off to Vegas. He has no job. And now he's working a job in Vegas that would bring shame to his family and he's probably a little uncomfortable with. Right? He's not on the strip. He's working off on the side somewhere. Right? He's in a bad part of Vegas because he just has to do something to eat. So the shame he's feeling is probably pretty heavy. This is also his sort of aha moment. So it kind of comes to his senses. Right? He realizes that even his dad's servants are living better than him. Um, so he heads home. He comes up with a plan to work off his debt, to cover his offense. He's, you can see in the text, you can see him, he's calculating this. He's not just going to go home and say, hey, dad, I'm sorry, bring me back. Right. Culturally, it would have been expected for his dad to kill him or beat him half to death. Uh, brought tremendous shame to the family. Broke the family up as far as their, like, identity as owners of the land. But he comes up with a plan, has a speech ready, and it says that when his dad sees him from a long way off, he comes running. Another thing we miss culturally, right? An older, respected man would never run. To, to quote Sting, you know, Sting the musician, a gentleman never runs, okay? That's what Sting says. A gentleman never runs. Partly because uh, for a man of this time, to run, right, he's not wearing business slacks, he's wearing a robe. He'd have to grab his robe and pull it up a bit, exposing his, his legs, right, which would have been shameful, right? That's okay for children to do. Children play like that, but not a business owner, not a man who owns an estate, not a pillar of the community. They don't do that. They don't do that. And what Jesus is showing us is the father's joy of seeing his son again is so overwhelming, right, that he almost acts shamefully. Like, he has no dignity in light of seeing his son again. So he runs to his son, hugs him, loves him, kisses him. Here's what's important. He restores his son before the son can even pay anything back. He's restored instantly as a son. One of the reasons why I love this story so much, like I said before, I've experienced both of these sons' perspectives. Um, I know what it's like to be a young prodigal son. Right? I grew up in the church. I was very serious about the church when the doors were open. I was there. So I went to church for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We had a Tuesday night youth group. I went to midweek service on Thursdays. And my church was so spiritual that they had this great idea to have prayer night on Friday nights because you needed to sacrifice something. So sacrifice your whole weekend to come to church. I was there for all of those, okay? That's how I was raised. Um, and um, I went off to Bible college. I mean, I'm telling you, I was serious about it. I went off to Bible college to become a pastor, and by my mid-20s, I was living a very different life than that. From, like, nerdy church kid, that's not who I was in my mid to late 20s. So I would say at the depth of my reckless living, and I'm not, like, trying to say these are shameful things, so this is what I was doing. Picture that kid, right? that I just described, to mid-20s, uh, I'm living with my girlfriend, I'm smoking multiple packs of cigarettes a week, I'm using lots of drugs, I'm getting drunk a lot, my language was crass and offensive intentionally, okay, um, that wasn't like, oh, that slipped out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, I'm aware you're here, I'm going to drop that bomb, okay, that's how I was, 
I did whatever I wanted when I wanted, and to be honest, I felt free from authority and rules, and I had a lot of fun. Yep, that's the truth. Um, and I wanted nothing to do with church. That was me. Um, in fact, I quit going to church because I got in trouble. An example of that would be one time I was at church, and remember, because I was raised in church, a lot of my social circle was still church people, so I would go to church to kind of hang out with some friends. I remember one time, um, remember, I'm smoking a lot at this time. I pulled out a cigarette as church was over. No one said anything, so I put a cigarette in my mouth. No one said anything. I got my lighter out. I, I was trying to tempt people to say something to me. Um, if you think I'm sarcastic now, you should have seen me then, okay? I was trying to get a reaction. Shortly after that, I decided if I'm trying to pick fights with old dear saints at church, I probably shouldn't go there, right? So I stopped going. And as I continued that life, which was a long time, um, I wouldn't say, I would not say I ended up living in a pig pen, right? But uh, the far off country with its reckless living, with its promises of pleasure and fun and wild abandonment um, was also filled with a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow. Uh, to this day, I don't think I've experienced the depth of pain I experienced during that time. So it was a, it's a weird tension there. And I know not everyone experiences what I experience. I get that. Um, Sarah and I have a lot of friends that we hang out with uh, who grew up uh, devout Christians or in pretty serious, like, and these people were committed. They weren't like halfway. I mean, they were committed Christians who now they're adults and they had zero plans to come back to the church. They have zero plans to have any faith in Jesus. Um, uh, but for me, that life wasn't what it was all cracked up to be. It overpromised and underdelivered. Absolutely, it did. Um, now, my friends, I don't know if they would say that. But that's how I experienced it. Uh, I also missed Jesus. Like I really did. I didn't miss church so much. Right? But I missed Jesus a bit. Uh, and the journey back to my Christian faith and practice, my journey from being a guy that did whatever I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted it, to like a guy now I'm, you know, me and Eric pastoring church together. Uh, that took a long time. It did not happen overnight. And I say that to encourage you, either you are or you know some prodigals. I'm saying sometimes it's a long process. Uh, that return to following Jesus was not... Uh, I think growing up, I expected it to be like a light switch. It was more like the sun rising than it was like a light being turned on. It just took a long time. And I can't say Tuesday at 2 o'clock is when I kind of stopped living that way and started following Jesus. It was a mix of different stuff to where over a few seasons I could say, well, I'm not living the same way. It was slow. That's what I'm getting at. It's slow. I say that to encourage you. Um, but I was a prodigal who had returned home. Part of my story. Uh, when we use that word prodigal, that's typically what we think of. Uh, many of us have probably had similar stories. Some of you probably could say, yeah, Jason, I was prodigal too. But we think of a young adult that's left, maybe some sort of tradition, some teaching they grew up with. They've kind of got rid of that. And that's what we think of reckless living. Uh, but I wanted what the younger brother wanted. That was I wanted the father's stuff, but I didn't want the father. Right? I wanted all the blessings of God, but I didn't want God himself. I wanted the, you know, I wanted the, uh, the goods of the kingdom, but I didn't want a king to rule over me. That's what I wanted. Right? I wanted all the good stuff, but none of that. I, don't, I didn't want anything over me. And when we think of sin, that's what we think of. Right? We think of people who do what they want when they want it. 
you know, life is all about their satisfaction, their gratification. That's the most important thing. They defy the rules. They live however they want. And this is one, one of the ways Jesus is defining sin or wrong living, right? We see that in this younger son. But the beauty of the text is when the father sees him, right, he doesn't even let him respond. He just runs, loves him, restores him, celebrates him. That's the picture of the gospel. That's what we say down is, right? The father comes running down the road. He's coming to get him, right? He's taken the initiative. Like, he doesn't wait for him to grovel enough. The father sees the son. He recklessly goes and gets him. He gives him a robe, which would have been a symbol of, like, full sonship. He's back again. Right? He's not a servant. He's a son. That's why he gets the robe. Uh, he kills the fattened calf. And that day they didn't eat a lot of meat. That would have been rare. So if they would have killed a fattened calf, this wasn't like we're going to have a family dinner. Dad was killing that calf and inviting everyone, all the neighbors, the whole community, come. My son's back. He's celebrating that. Right? That's a picture of the gospel. Right? A father running out. It's not, hey, prove it. Prove you're not going to do this again. No, it's, it's lavish, extravagant, just pouring out love. The younger son's back. He's restored. He's celebrated. But what about the other brother? He, he's kind of, they're hanging in the story. The younger brother, he shows us a way to live apart from the father. But what's the older brother show us? So let's re read his response. Eric didn't read this part. Uh, this is right after where Eric stopped. It says, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because you received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. That you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And, as he, and he said to him, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Right? So the older brother, he hears a party going on. He calls somebody over. He says, hey, what's, what's going on? He says, hey. Your knucklehead brother's back, right? That's awesome. It's not awesome for this brother, right? Um, he gets angry, and he here's the irony of the story. The brother who does all the good stuff at the end of the story is outside the party, and the younger brother, who's a hot mess, is in celebrating, right? Je Jesus is messing with us a bit here. Like, he really is messing with us. Listen to the older brother, how he responds to the father. He says, look. Right? Not very respectful. Look, that son of yours, not my brother, that son of yours. Um, the entire community is here to celebrate. So, yes, the younger son disrespected the older, the, disrespected the father. But now the older brother is disrespecting the father by not going into the party. It would have been obvious. Hey, where's Bill? Oh, his son won't come in the party, you know. There's that tension. Right? The good son is not coming in. Another sign of this brother's heart is when he says, all these years I've served you, and you never did anything for me. It's interesting. Uh, the NIV translates that as, all these years I've slaved for you. The older brother, he's entitled. He's self-righteous. Now, he's the good boy. He's the golden boy. 
and when he sees his brother, he looks down on him. He thinks the father owes him, but he isn't that different than the younger brother because just like the younger brother, the older brother wants the father's stuff, but he doesn't want the father. Right? They're both trying to get God's stuff without going through him. Right? Even though the father says, all I have is yours, he refuses to go into the party with his dad. Doesn't want to go in there. Um, he doesn't engage his father's heart. He engages his father's rules to get his father's stuff. Right? That's not the gospel. The problem is I think a lot of times we think that's the gospel, but it's not. Right? I do all the right stuff. I'm a good rule follower. I'm morally superior, so I must follow the gospel. Jesus says, no. It's, it's, it's not true. Uh, I can relate to the older brother as well. The church I grew up in, like I said, very strict. Uh, we liked rules. I was proud of that. Uh, as a high school student, I was very self-righteous against the sinners at my school. And I even pitied Christians who, the, the kids I went to school with, who didn't have the same doctrine as me on minor issues. I was like, these guys are just lost and dumb. If they could all be as smart and holy as me. Right? That was, that was my attitude. Um, and I really loved the significance of being the best Christian in my youth group, the best Christian at my school. I loved being a rule follower. Right? I loved that role of that older brother from the story, but it caught up to me. Um, because just like, just like reckless living caught up to me, this way of life caught up to me too. So I went off to Bible college. Right? So I'm from a small town outside of St. Louis. Uh, I went to a small church, small school. So I was always like top dog when it came to like spiritual stuff. I knew the Bible better than most people. I was more disciplined than most people. So I go off to Florida to Bible college, and all of a sudden, I'm not the best anymore. I am average at best, okay? Uh, these guys prayed more than me. They knew the Bible better than me. Um, they got better grades than me. Uh, they were more outgoing than me, right? They were more ministry-like than me. And my heart was revealed in that season because I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't feel as good about being good and religious anymore. It didn't have the quite it didn't pay off the same. Um, when I was a good rule follower, when I went to church every chance I got, when I didn't cuss, smoke, drink, or chew, I didn't watch R-rated movies. When I did my when I read my Bible, did my devotions. Catch this, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. Catch this. I didn't need Jesus to give me worth or value or significance because my religious performance did that for me. Okay, catch that. Let me say it again. I didn't need Jesus to give me worth or value or significance because my religious performance did that for me. Uh, Jesus got me saved, but I got, I, I got it from there, right? That's what it was. So just like the older brother, uh, my good works, my slaving for God kept me from enjoying his party, his joy, his affections. So in Bible college, I didn't get that feeling of pride and self-righteousness anymore. I didn't feel valued or significant. I got the feeling actually of being a religious failure is what it felt like. Instead of that, if, now if I couldn't be a really good older brother, then I might as well be a wild, reckless living younger brother. Because I was going to find significance somewhere. And if it wasn't in being a good church kid, then let's party it up. And here's what I believe Jesus is doing for us and the original listeners to his story. He's showing us there are two ways that people find meaning happiness, and fulfillment apart from him. One is self-discovery. Right? Individual desires, experiences, quote, my truth. Okay, Eric likes to say that, my truth. Right? Be your true self. 
This is why, uh, once again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make any commentary on this, but this is why our culture celebrates uh, sort of alternative lifestyles that would have been taboo a decade ago. Now is celebrated because it's the culture saying they're being their true selves. Because culturally, we're like a younger brother culture. So we want people to discover their own truth. We want people to be free, right? There's no comment on that. I'm just saying that our culture feels that way. This is me as a 20-something Bible college dropout, getting higher drunk, being re- because being religious didn't work. And I didn't need authority telling me what to do, and people would have celebrated that. Hey, man, you be you. You be you. The other one is moral conformity, right, which we think is the opposite of that. But Jesus is saying it's just as bad. The other is moral conformity, being right, being good. This is me in my high school days, early college days, looking down on sinners, right, because they don't have it together like me. This is like a form of compassionless conservatism, right, of like, we got it together, get it together too, right? And we look down on people who might not look at the world the way, same way we do or hold the same values we do. And so, come on, get it? Like, it's just this simple, if you want a better life, pull yourself up. Compassionless. Here's a quote from Tim Keller about this uh, story. He says this. Here then is Jesus' radical redefinition of what is wrong with us. Nearly everyone defines sin as breaking a list of rules. Jesus, though, shows us that a man who has violated virtually Nothing on the list of moral misbehaviors can be every bit as spiritually lost as the most prolific, immoral person. Why? Because sin is not just breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge, just as each son sought to displace the authority of the Father in his own life. Right? It's just two ways, right? It's two ways. We, we think of it as two ways, but it's not. It's either be your own self or follow the rules of your society Right, and we go back and forth on that, and that, that gets exhausting. Um, here's the danger for us. Um, it's easy to see our need for a Savior when we're younger brothers living in pig pens. That's simple. But most people get that. It's harder to see it when we are rule-following older brothers because we think we're righteous and don't need a Savior. Right, this is also why in Jesus' day, this is his message, sinners Sinners, tax collectors, people in the outskirts of society were drawn to Jesus. The religious people hated his message and ended up killing him for it. Right? It wasn't the sinners that did that. It was the religious elite. One of the reasons why I stayed a younger brother for so long, because uh, I thought, I really thought this, I thought I'd have friends of mine who would say, hey, Jason, come on back, you know, come back to following Jesus. And here's what I thought I heard them saying, become an older brother again. I couldn't do it. I already tried that, and I knew it didn't work. I couldn't do it. I had done that in the past. I didn't want to be that person again. I knew it was exhausting, and it was impossible for me to carry the burden of being self-righteous, of getting my identity, significance, and value from things that I did and didn't do. It would not satisfy. I didn't need a balance between being a younger brother and an older brother. I needed something else. Right? I needed something else. Because here's the problem. We're all probably drawn to one of those brothers. Some of us are going to be probably a little more liberal and progressive in our thinking. Some are more conservative, traditional in our thinking. But, right, it's a little bit of, we have both of them. So I remember, um, what was it, Jimmy Swaggart, right? Uh, a blast from the past, right, 80s. Um, he preached on, like, sexual immorality for, like, four weeks in a row from, his, from the stage and then got caught in a prostitution ring. But on the other side, we see people that are de- demanding tolerance. You've got to be tolerant. You've got to tolerate my view are the most intolerant people when you don't agree with their view, right? So there's older brothers 
who secretly have younger brother attitudes, and there's also younger brothers who want everybody to be self-discovered except when it violates what they want, right? So it's, it's a tension on both sides, right? We need something else. We can't balance it. So back to Luke 15. If we read the entire chapter, which we were not going to do that this morning, right? Jesus, this is the third of three stories. The first is the uh, lost sheep, then there's a lost coin, and then there's a lost son. The lost sheep, we know that story, right? Who goes and gets the lost sheep? Anybody know? Is that Eric? The shepherd, right? In the story of the lost coin, there's a woman who loses a coin. She tears her house up to find it. So he's building this expectation, right? I just told you a story of a lost sheep. A shepherd goes to seek it out and find it. Here's a story of a lost coin. Um, the lady tears her house up. You ever lost something in your house and you all of a sudden clean your house because you've got to find it? That's what this lady does, all right, in Jesus' parable. His third story, here's a lost son, and you feel it hang because no one goes to look for him. No one goes to look for the, for the son. And Jesus' listeners, when he told that story, would have felt that. I'm like, who's going to look for this guy? The expectation culturally would have been the elder brother would have gone. He would have seen his dad's heartache as a good son and went and got his, older, his younger brother and brought him back. But he doesn't. In fact, the opposite happens. When his brother does come home, he's mad. He does the complete opposite of that. Now, to be fair to the older brother, um, the younger brother's restoration costs him. Uh, it's not free. You know, we often say, like, you know, salvation is free, but it costs something. Um, all the father has is now belongs to the older brother. The feast, the robe, the estate, it's all going to him. But it costs him something. Uh, Sarah and I had a family over to our house one time. Uh, Sarah's really into plants. I believe it was a friendship plant, ironically. And um, their daughter, we weren't watching her, and she was young. She tore every little leaf off this plant, so it was just this really sad, ugly-looking stalk afterwards, right? Right, now, that was a bummer. <laughs> you know, Sarah's still sad about it. But, <laughs> but we didn't hold that against them. We got that. And you could say we forgave them, right? I think, I think we forgave them for that. Yeah, we forgave them for it, right? But it cost something, right? It cost us either a new plant or something. Like we, the, we, we had to pay something for that, right? It was free to them, cost us something. The younger brother's forgiveness was free, but it cost the elder brother. It just did. It did. And what, what Jesus is showing us, right, in this story is we all need an older brother who comes after us when we're wayward, when we're disobedient, when we're rebellious. That's Jesus is the true elder brother. But at the same time, right, we also need, like, in the story, that, that one's pretty obvious, but in the story, it's easy to pick on the older brother. But who comes out? The father doesn't leave him out there. The father comes out and says, listen, all is yours. Come on in the party. Come back in. God loves the most wild, reckless person, but he also loves the most uptight, stuffy, conservative person. Right? He loves them both. Right? He loves them both. Right? Um, we need an older brother. That, that's, that's down. That's Jesus coming down because we need an elder brother, not a brother that just goes off to a far-off country to come get us, but a brother that leaves heaven and comes to earth to come get us. Right? We get that robe, right, of sonship, daughters. We're sons and daughters in the family of God no matter what we've done. Right? 
but Jesus is the brother who's stripped and shamed to cover us with his robe of dignity and good standing in the family. Right? When we come back, there's nothing we have to do to make it right. Jesus says, I got this. I got this. Just rest. Jesus, at his crucifixion, is taken outside the city. He's treated as an outsider so that we could return home as insiders and family. Right? He's taken it all on himself because he's a true older brother. When we talk about down, we're talking about a father who sends his son to come get us and is willing to pay the highest cost possible to bring us back. And hear this, the call to the, believe the gospel, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm calling us to believe the gospel for, for Christians, non-Christians, for conservatives, for liberals. The call to believe the gospel is not, hear this, it is not a call to religious moralism. It is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a standing based on how good we have to perform or how good we are. No, the gospels were accepted because of Jesus' obedience not ours. Right? And we live in that space. We never move from that. That's why we have communion every week. Because we to remind it. It's not like, oh, um, you've grown in like not gossiping, so you're, you're, you're good now. No, we, we have to continue to go back to the gospel over and over and over again. And so how do we respond to the gospel, right? If it's not being a younger brother, not an older brother, how do we respond? Well, first, we, we respond with humility. And that's what Jesus is saying. We can't save ourselves. We need him. We can't find our freedom and our true self in the far-off country, living however we want. And we won't find it in our moral performance, but only in Jesus, right? who went off to the far-off country and did live the perfect life, and we get all the benefits from that. We also respond with confidence. Right? Both sons want the father's stuff, but not the father. Romans 8.32 says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? And I love this verse, Romans 8, 32. Like, he, he gives us all of it, right? The father, the son say, I'm not holding out on you. I'll give you all I got to bring you back. So in Jesus, in the gospel, that's what we call down because in him we have all we need. And so I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up. Communion servers, get ready. I'm going to ask us, as we get ready to respond to communion, here's what I'm asking you guys to do. Um, one, if you're not a Christian, there, there's no expectation for you to come up. We're not asking you to do that. Uh, prefer if you didn't come up during that time. Um, but if you are a Christian, before you come right up, I would ask that you uh, reflect on two things. One, in what ways have you been the younger brother? Right? You're like, I'm going to do what I want when I want it. I don't want anybody ruling over me. It's, it's all about me. And on the other side, I want you to ask, where have I been an older brother? Where I feel like maybe God owes me because of how well I've performed? Um, or like I'm doing stuff for God. I'm not getting what I want. He's not doing enough for me. Or, wow, I am so much better than the people I know around me. Look how well I've behaved. Look how well I've behaved. I've performed. And so I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes, bow your heads with me. Jesus, we thank you so much that you came, you lived, and you died, you rose again, you defeated death itself to give us your life, your goodness. I pray this morning that we would not trust in our efforts, 
that we can trust in you. That you aren't calling us to clean up and be better. You're calling us to trust you. And that any moral performance we have, may it not be performance. May it be that we're living in a way that reflects your goodness because we're safe and secure in you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us before we get ready to receive communion, how we tried to be our own God. Whether that's through doing whatever we want, living the, quote, reckless life, or trying to be our own kings, our own rule, by performing in such a way that we don't think we need you. Guide us by your spirit. In your name we pray.